I'll, I'll be more specific, right? Because I think sometimes you can say like, search processes are grueling. Yeah, they don't have to be. I think um, one way we need to think about humanness is uh, that people are bringing, being whole people when they are interacting with us. Mm -hmm. And as the search um, university who has the posting, as the organization, um, we get pretty myopic. And we're like, well, this is the job. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and it's not untrue that that is a job. But once you get to my organization, I expect you to live as a whole person. Hello, and welcome to Student Affairs Now. I'm your host, Keith Edwards. We need a new hiring paradigm for student affairs. I talk with so many candidates and so many hiring authorities who all share that the traditional approaches are no longer working and the issues they've always elicited are worse than ever. Today, I'm joined by three folks who are all recommended as folks who do hiring radically different. Thank you for joining me today. I'm so excited to learn from you. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and online learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays. Find details about this episode or browse our archives at studentaffairsnow.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Simplicity, a true partner. Simplicity supports all aspects of student life with technology platforms that empower institutions to make data-driven decisions. This episode is also sponsored by Vector Solutions, formerly EverFi. The trusted partner for more than 2,000 colleges and universities, Vector Solutions is the standard of care for student safety, well-being, and inclusion. As I mentioned, I'm your host, Keith Edwards. My pronouns are he, him, his. I'm a speaker, consultant, and coach, and you can find out more about me at keithedwards.com. I'm broadcasting from Minneapolis, Minnesota, at the intersections of the ancestral homelands of both the Dakota and the Ojibwe peoples. Let's get to the conversation. I'm so grateful for all of you for joining us here today. Uh, let's begin by learning a little bit about you. And, and I want to frame this as what sort of the seed of this was a Twitter rant that I did that also turned into a LinkedIn that got a lot of response and, and 85 different comments and 85 different shares. And it was so clear that candidates were frustrated with not hearing back, with the overburdensome process, having to submit things to three different places, and hiring authorities were frustrated with the whole process and the cumbersome nature of it. And so this really is there. And Chan Bandela responded and said, Trisha Smith is doing this right. You should definitely include Trisha. So Trisha, tell us a little bit more about you um, as we kick off here. Thanks, Keith. Hi, everybody. Uh, Trisha Smith, I use she and her pronouns. I'm coming to you today from the unceded territories of the Tutelo and Monacan nations um, in Radford, Virginia. So I serve as Associate Vice President for Student Life at Radford University um, down in the southwest corner there. And I'm really excited to be a part of this conversation and to be in this community with you all because you're all rock stars and I'm very excited about the conversation. Um, also, what a topic. Mm -hmm. um, I have uh, led and been on and been hiring manager for all kinds of different searches and um, been in the business for a minute. And so uh, for those who are not from the South, that means a long time, by the way, <laughs> the cultural context. Um, so uh, excited to share some space with you all. Thanks for having me, Keith. 
Yeah, wonderful. And uh, Chad recommended Trisha, and Trisha said, you know who you should have is Donald Walker. He is now, he was in higher ed, he's outside of higher ed, and now he can speak truth to power. Uh, Donald, tell us a little bit more about you. Yes, thank, thanks, Keith. Um, and thanks, Trisha, for uh, mentioning my name. That's very, very nice of both of you. Um, I'm Donald Walker. Um, I currently serve as the Chief Operating Officer for DC Green Bank. Um, and so shameless plug, we do um, clean energy financing for um, to make sustainable projects happen in DC, specifically focusing on um, financing gaps and generational gaps where um, black and brown communities just have been left out of the conversation of infrastructure building, wealth building, et cetera. Um, and so when we talk about sustainability and climate change, what's happening to black and brown communities is that they're not involved. So um, we were created by DC government to be able to make that happen. Um, and it's a big deal because the um, the Inflation Reduction Act is gonna be signed probably today. Um, and so that's gonna throw billions of dollars at climate change specifically for um, in the whole Justice 40 initiative. You can look that up. I think it's a cool thing to look up. Um, but in my role um, at DC Green Bank, I've been here for a little over two years. Um, I've been outside of the higher education field officially for um, a little, about five years now. Um, in higher ed, I worked at um, the University of Delaware, Virginia Tech, and also at Towson University, um, where I was primarily responsible, or I was in housing and residence life. I, um, and that's where I met Trisha at Virginia Tech, where um, I've been on the search team and running searches since then. Um, I got out of higher ed and started doing some staffing and HR consulting, specifically looking at um, best practices and how to um, run your organization effectively, because we can talk about staffing and recruiting, um, but you have to talk about what the experience is while people are there as well. Mm -hmm. um, and now as COO at DC Green Bank, Human Resources, and a whole bunch of other stuff fall in my um, realm of responsibilities. So um, really excited to be here and share some some different insights and, and knowing both sides of the fence pretty well. Yeah, as we were talking before we hit record, it was pointed out that this might be Donald's most favorite thing to talk about. Um, so, it is. <laughs> it is. so so glad you're here and and Shelby we've known each other through several past previous iterations and um, you mentioned about doing different ways that you have seen and learned from others and done searches differently and you've just rather recently been a candidate as well so I'm excited to hear all your thoughts tell us a little bit more about yeah. you Thank you, I appreciate it. Um, so my name is Shelby Wieners, my pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I am on week three of my new role, which is serving as the Senior Associate Director for University Park um, Residence Life at Penn State University. Um, so I am back at my alma mater, it's very exciting. Um, and over the course of my career now, I've worked coast to coast and in the Midwest at large state institutions um, and have worked my way up through, through residence life and have spent a significant amount of time running searches as a search chair, a search committee member, a hiring manager, um, and doing some search advocacy training as well. And so um, spending a lot of time in searches and seeing it done really well seeing it done not so well and experiencing both ends of the spectrum. And so um, really pushing for, for some radical change because I think that candidates deserve better and I think institutions deserve the best talent. And so how do we make that happen? And, and I think that that's the core question and I'm really excited to, to chat about it with, with folks in this space today. Awesome. 
well, let's get into it. We're going to kind of frame this of, of what's the challenge, what's the problem, what are new ways of thinking about it, and, and some suggestions. So let's start with what are the challenges in to hiring in student affairs right now? We're, we're talking about COVID, we're talking about the great resignation, we're talking about people leaving the field. As Rochelle Pope reminds us often in our host conversations, people have always been leaving the field, but it's different now. Um, and, um, you know, we see pieces in the Chronicle and Inside Higher Ed about how the pool is not very good right now. Um, I, I prefer to think about that as, well, why is the pool not great? Do you not pay enough? Are you not recruiting people? Are you just throwing up barriers? I think uh, one of the things that got some of the response in that LinkedIn post was me referring to, uh, you can't just run people through the obstacle course, right? And I see so many hiring processes that are just like, yeah, we'll make you jump through all of these hoops. And on the other side, we'll choose which one we want. And that's not recruitment. <laughs> that's not how you bring people in. So Trisha, what are some of the challenges we're facing that you're seeing um, that we can begin to move away from? Yeah, I, I so echo what you were saying, Keith, about the, the hoops. I feel like for me, one of the things when I think about search these is we forget about the humanness mm -hmm. Is that a word? I don't even know if that's a word. Humanness. Yeah. I'm using it. Humanness of the entire thing. So we say people are the most important. I don't disagree with that at all. Um, but then we don't actually treat folks as, as humans as they engage with us. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I'll, I'll be more specific, right? Because I think sometimes you can say like search processes are grueling. Yeah. They don't have to be. I think um, one way we need to think about humanness is uh, that people are bringing, being whole people when they are interacting with us. Mm -hmm. And as the search um, university who has the posting, as the organization, um, we get pretty myopic. And we're like, well, this is the job. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and it's not untrue that that is a job, but once you get to my organization, I expect you to live as a whole person. And I know, let's say someone has kiddos. I know there are, of course, legal ramifications and asking those kind of things um, during the search process. But if you have kiddos, when you come work for me, we're going to make accommodations for that. We're going to think about um, all the friction points. Um, mm -hmm. But we're not doing that in search processes from as, as much as I can see. Um, I also think this humanness comes in the form of um, attribution error, right? Like it's kind of like you were talking about with the pool. Like mm -hmm. they, there's something wrong with them. Mm -hmm. It's not enough of them. They're not fitting with that. Well, that's human, right? For us to say, if there's something wrong, it must be the other person. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think it's fair to say like, especially during the pandemic, but I think it's, my opinion predated that we're all under crunch at all times but some of that is the crunch we created mm -hmm. um and so why would we let that bleed over into one of our very most important processes that we do in order to serve students you want good people then get clear about what that means um and then the the, the other part about humanness i think for me is um <laughs> we're not, I don't think, by having a, a, a public presentation three or four or five times in a row that for some, a position you may or may not fill on that pool mm -hmm. and you've got 30 people, 
that is a ton of time on your current staff. Mm -hmm. The load of search Mm -hmm. processes on the current team is just, it's just not fair and it's not realistic. Mm -hmm. And I think some of that might come from, you know, our need to, um, I want to see everything and I want to see every aspect and experience these people. Is that really needed? Is it? Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not sure. I argue that it's not. Yeah. Well, I, I just, I, go ahead, Donald. Oh, I was just going to jump in and, and that reminds me of something that I was thinking about when uh, the other day is um, the humanness of it, right? And we go through all this and you're not thinking about your team and you're not thinking about the tax that it takes on the candidate and the decision maker ultimately has to decide who's going to be hired, right? And it can't be, and and so what's the benefit on having someone meet every single person that they may yeah. ever come in into contact with when we've all been on the search committee side too, nobody's reading all of those notes and then taking it into consideration when, when a hiring decision is being made because number one, it's impossible to do. And I think that we have to talk about what's possible and impossible. Um, but then on the other hand, are we utilizing, like you have to think, one of the things my CFO says this all the time, and I, and I believe it to be true, um, having a business background now, um, is that you have to think about the time clock that's over top of someone's head and that that's money that's being spent, right? And so if I have my whole team coming in and do this interview process, and I'm not going to value their opinion, and that's a waste of time and money and resources and everything else. And it's not and it's not helpful. Um, and so, just really thinking about the humanness of of both sides of that, but then also, not necessarily the the other thing that came to mind too was how are you designing a process that really focuses on skills that you need that person to be able to perform. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that processes are being designed in that way. It's you should know everything about this job. But know that we're hiring people who have we're seeking for propensity to be able to do it, and I can train you on what to do. Um, and so there, those are just two things that that popped in my head um, as you were talking, Trisha. That when I think about the humanness of it, it's all of us have gotten into jobs where we had no idea what we were doing. I, I think about my job now specifically when they're like, "Hey, you want to be the CEO?" I was like, "Oh my God." that sounds great, but where in the world do I start and how do I do that? And that there's resources and support and everything else out there for you. So don't expect someone to be able to have everything down through an interview process where you, you're just getting to know them. Right. And we have these jobs and then we're trying to match a person perfectly to that. But then really in reality, we should have these jobs as an idea, bring the people in and then, and then find where their talents and their skills are and realign things to sort of match that. Uh, you're reminding me uh, what I hear from a lot of employees, not candidates, is I don't want to be treated like an employee or a worker. I want to yeah. be treated like a person, like a mm-hmm. human. And you're sort of yeah. front loading this even earlier in that process. Uh, you're also reminding me, I think one of the things that we fall into a lot in student affairs, Gallup Strengths talks about includer as a strength, and it is, uh, but includer in the basement is we need to involve everybody before we do anything. Um, and I think yeah. sometimes that's what happens is, you know, we've got to invite the entire division to see this. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes it becomes even overly burdensome where, you know, the three people who work in multicultural affairs are in every single search right. process because we yeah, want we- to diversify the hearing. And then that becomes a, a disproportionate burden on them. Um, how do we do some of that? Um, 
Shelby, what are some of the challenges that you see? Um, I, for me, it comes down to the people. And so I really appreciated uh, us using the word humanness because I think that's mm -hmm. super important. Um, and something that I've seen and I've experienced is, is the communication of, of pieces of what we're saying we're doing, but our, our actions then not matching it or as, as a university or what we're telling a candidate and then again, not, not meeting it, whether it is timeline, whether it is you got the job or didn't get the job. I mean, technically I'm still waiting for a reply to a job that I applied to back in 2010. Technically, mm -hmm. I don't think I got it. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think that keeping that sense of person-centered searches at the forefront is incredibly critical. Um, I think the other part of it is money. Like we, we're talking about money. We're living in an economy that is incredibly inflated right now. And even before that, student affairs was vastly underfunded. Um, and so I, you know, I think we've all experienced and have heard the do more with less and, and that includes staffing. Um, and eventually it gets to the point where folks are saying, I don't want to. And so that's where I think we get some of that great um, resignation. Mm -hmm. And so when I think of like the top challenges, I think of what are the things that are stopping our folks from thriving in a search? Um, sometimes that we want our folks to thrive when they're employees. And so sometimes that's money. Sometimes it's communication. Sometimes it's the overworking of an interview schedule. Most jobs don't need an eight hour interview. And if they do, we need to ask better questions. Um, and then I would say, um, what's the other part that was, I was really thinking about and it's, completely slipped my mind. I'm sure it'll come to me later, but um, if we want folks to thrive here, we need to make sure that we're setting that culture up and that expectation up from the beginning. And so Trisha, something I really appreciated was you talking about for someone that does have kids, like how are we accommodating that in the search? And then how do we carry that on mm -hmm. as an employee? So lots of, yeah. lots of pieces. One of the things I'm often telling uh, folks who I coach, who oftentimes are considering or thinking about uh, another job or a promotion or, or moving on to something or changing careers entirely is don't just think about the better job, think about a better life, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes I see people get uh, suckered into, oh, that's a better title and that's more pay. And then they realize like, I have to go live there and I have to move my family and I'm leaving my community and friends and people who I enjoy spending time with out of work. And this is a better job with a better title but it's not a better life for me as a whole person. And I'm, I'm hearing you all sort of say, how do we help people from the very beginning figure out, is this a better life for you? Would this be a better situation so that you can thrive? Because if you're, if it's a great job and you're miserable, other than that, you're going to be miserable <laughs> at work too. Mm -hmm. But if there's a fulfilling life around you or you can create that, that's a very different thing. So I love that we're centering people and humanness in this. Um, I, I keep hearing from folks that we can do this differently. Uh, and, uh, I remember, uh, maybe 10 years ago saying to a, a trusted colleague, I said, you know, this search I'm going to do is really important. I really get, I want to get it right. How do you structure your search committee? And my colleague said, oh, I don't do those. I was like, what do you mean you have a search committee? Why, why have that? Everyone in the department gets to meet all of these candidates. They all provide feedback. They all come and talk to me in my office. Like, why do I need to have a search committee who also does that? Yeah. And I was just like, oh my goodness. Like, 
why why did why have I decided we must have a search committee? Not that search committees are bad, but like yeah. do they serve you? And I had a great conversation with a group of colleagues who this was about student staff selection, but one colleague said, you know, we did away with the application. Everybody's like, what? Oh yeah, we just found out we weren't using it. So we just did away with it. We just, we have all their information anyway. Someone else said, well, we did away with the individual interview. I was like, what do you mean you did? Wow, well, we just do the group interview. And someone else said, we got rid of the group interview. It was such a great reminder that there's so many things that we feel like have to be part of the process that we don't rethink. And how do we rethink everything? Um, what are some of the ways we need to start rethinking some of this? Um, Donald, I, I know you 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 bragged about doing searches differently in higher ed and now outside higher ed. What are some of the new paradigms, approaches, or practices you would really recommend for higher ed folks that maybe we're not able to rethink or see because they're just so much a part of how we, we've learned and been socialized? Sure. Um, there's a, a couple thoughts that come into mind that um, I thought were, and I'll talk a little bit about some of the things that I've seen since um, being out. Um, one of the things that we, that I, I think the, the corporate world has done pretty well, and I'm universally using that. Some, there's a lot of places outside of higher ed that don't do it well too. And mm -hmm. I think that that's important to note. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things that, um, that I've seen as a really good practice and something that I've really, you know, focused in on um, is starting your recruitment process, thinking about retention and promotion, um, is that if this person's going to be here with us for the long haul, because one of the things that I think higher ed doesn't do well at universally is keeping your people and promoting your people that are doing well. Um, because a lot of times people don't want to uproot their lives to be able to do more work or to be rewarded for the work that they're doing already, right? And um, I read all this stuff online and I see so many people are getting so many additional responsibilities and everything else like that without the promotion and pay. And I'm like, that's that's just wrong. You should not do that. Um, if you're asking people to do more, you should do your part and say, thank you for doing more. And here's the reward that comes along with that. Um, and so I think that from a recruitment standpoint, I mean, you've really got to start thinking about um, retention and promotion. What are we doing to, because if we get this really good person, I want to keep them because they are going to do really great work for us, whether they're here for one year, 10 years, 15 years. Um, and the reason why I think the business world really thinks about it is because a lot of times the business world is about that bottom line. Um, and so it's cheaper to retain an employee, especially a good one, than it is to turn people over. It costs about three times the amount to turn someone over. So thinking about it from that perspective, I, I think it's just good practice. Um, and here's my here's the unpopular opinion. I might get some tweets or something about this later. Uh, higher education is a business that has to financially succeed to pay you the yep. people, right? And so in order for that to happen, you have to start thinking about business practices in order for that to, do, to go really well. Um, the other thing that, um, and back up just a good example, um, I have an employee here, um, we brought him in on a certain level, he did really, really good work and we created this retention and promotion culture. He came to me when he was ready to be promoted and said, this is what I'm ready to do. This is what this looks like. I was like, that's a pretty damn good argument. So yes, here's a promotion <laughs> um, and, it, and it went really well. And so how do you create that culture is one of the things to think about. Um, the other thing that I was going to say too, um, and it goes back to what you were talking about earlier, Keith, is this whole obstacle course gauntlet mm -hmm. approach to interviewing. 
number one, that's not recruiting. Um, and I think right. that you have to play a role in making people want to be there. Um, and I'm going to shout Trisha out here way back in when I was going through the process at Virginia Tech fresh out of grad school, it made me, Trisha and team made me want to be there. And I think that's one of the really big things is that you have to think about what am I doing to make this person want to be here? Um, and then the other part is um, not once since I have left higher education, have I had an interview that lasted more than two to three hours combined, mm -hmm. the whole process. Um, and I'm talking about phone screening, interview with whoever I needed to interview with, final interview. Um, I just, that has never happened ever again in my whole entire being. Um, and so I'm a senior level executive of a company and it took two and a half hours for them to make a decision that that's what I should be doing. And, and I think that there's merit in that because you have to be decisive and you have to create it. And it was not ever overly cumbersome for me in that process. So I think those are just some of the new paradigms just as I think about it on what works really well that higher ed should really consider. Yeah, awesome. Shelby, what are some of the things, you know, you were just a candidate um, and yeah. you've been doing a lot of searches. What are, the, yeah. what are the revolutionary ways we can think differently about this? Um, I mean, I'm a big why person. And so I like asking why, why yeah. do we do this? Who does it benefit? actually who does it benefit mm -hmm. um and so my something that I always keep in the back of my mind is is this because we've always done it this way mm -hmm. is it because it is actually effective um most of the time it's not and mm -hmm. so asking those questions I think is really critical um and so even just having the idea of a person-centered search is a paradigm shift because it's no longer about perhaps the institution or the department or whatnot, finding the quote unquote best fit, which mm -hmm. in and of itself is, can be problematic, mm -hmm. um, but finding someone who can do the job, who is trainable and we are trusting and relying on each other as a department or a unit to make a decision, keep it moving and fill, fill our vacancies in a way that we can now create the culture that we are looking to create. And so um, I, I mean, one of the best searches that I was ever a part of as a candidate um, lasted a total of four hours. So it was four interviews, four 45 minute interviews over the course of one day throughout the day so that, and it was all virtual so that I could have breaks. Um, granted, part of it was because of COVID, um, but it is a practice that I think can continue in a lot of ways. Um, something that I said earlier, if we aren't able to make a decision about someone based upon an eight hour day, we're not asking the right questions and that's on us, yeah. or we don't have the right job description and that's on us. Um, or we're not trusting our colleagues and that's a bigger conversation that mm -hmm. we need to have. And so I think asking those questions and shifting from, from that gauntlet that we've all experienced and all have talked about, and I had it in my notes, and we've used obstacles mm -hmm. so many times, and mm -hmm. it's so pervasive, mm -hmm. or the create this for us presentation, which is essentially unpaid labor, or, you know, mm -hmm. um, present on this arbitrary topic, or what is your favorite salad topping, whatever it may be, <laughs> I think that all of these are, they're not getting the best candidate. It is, I think, um, 
I think it plays to dominant identities and I think it plays to specific personality types that thrive in pressure or thrive in a white centered environment and thrive in a extroverted environment. Mm -hmm. And so if we want the strongest teams and if we want the best teams, um, we have to create an environment where our candidates can be their best and they can thrive um, because that's when we're going to see the best of someone at their, what, how they're possibly going to show up at work. We want that whole person to show up at work. Um, and so I've just resonated with a lot of what everyone has said. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm taking notes myself. It's fantastic. Um, but then something else that I would say that is, is, having search advocates, I think can be really helpful. So I, you know, checking our own biases is necessary and hard, but having someone there to keep us accountable is really important. Um, and I think the Keith to a point that you were making about small search committees or no search committees, the best search that I've ever run, there were three of us. I was the chair, we had two folks. And so while we had to have a search community committee by policy, um, pushing on it and getting it as small as possible because people are going to meet the candidates other ways and not everyone needs to be a nosy noodle. Um, so just a lot of what we've, we've echoed or, or resonated with already, um, but really challenging what HR might have to say or asking the why. At, yeah. And I think for me, that is really, really important. Yeah. Shelby, and can I ask you a question about, you used um, search advocate and yeah. I'm, I'm thinking that each of us might have a different definition of that. Like yes. what, what exactly would that person do or has done in a way that was helpful for you? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, so the way that I've seen a search advocate incredibly helpful has been someone who has been in all the conversations with the search committee. And so they have not necessarily participated in screening. They have not necessarily participated in review of materials or interview days, but they come to all the search committee, committee meetings. And if someone says like, you know, I just don't think that person's the right fit. They throw up the proverbial flag and say, I need you to, to, to think about what you just said and let's, let's unpack that. Um, and it's an in the moment, um, essentially person who's willing to challenge it's white dominant culture, to be quite honest. Mm -hmm. And someone who also is advocating for the candidate. So um, anything that's coded language or, in, or biases, like uh, there was a training that we went through that had the 10 most common um, biases that show up in, in searches and whether it's the halo effect or the similar, similar effect or first candidate, last candidate, all of those pieces, mm -hmm. um, and really willing to sit with, with the committee, um, and go through feedback and flag things as with us. And then also as we're processing. Yeah. Thank you for that. I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. And, and thank you for the question, Trisha. It's reminding me though, that, um, how important having this growth mindset is because if I don't have a growth mindset, that search advocate can be scary and sure. threatening. Like they might point out that we're not doing it right. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we have a growth mindset. Now it's exciting. This person can help yeah. us do better and help us notice our biases and, and better serve the candidates. So I think getting out of trying to prove that we're right and that perfectionism mm -hmm. can flip that into an asset that we're excited about rather than something that we hope we don't mess up and we hope no one notices, right? Yeah. Um, so I think creating cultures of learning is, is a really important part of it. You're also reminding me that um, well, we started adding a presentation, which is not always a great idea, but we started adding a presentation 
And it was so helpful because it put the candidates in a different thing. And what I realized is we were basically hiring based on who could sit around a circular table and talk to eight people over and over and over and over and over again. And that is a skill. Some people are very good at it. Some people are not, but we were basically hiring people. Could you sit at the front of the table (laughs) and talk to eight people? Mm -hmm. And that was like 5% of the job. So what a mismatch of evaluation and the actual role and presenting was more a part of the job. We got to see how people could present, which is about their ability to put together slides and tell a coherent story. But it was also about their ability to answer questions and engage with people and say, that's a really great question. I don't know. Um, So how do we think about what is the job here and how do we... um, create opportunities for people to do that or approximate that as the search to help guide us. Keith, you totally hit the nail on the head with what is the job called for? Mm-hmm. Because right. I yep. think um, on the flip side, uh, candidates come to campus and they're to do a presentation. I'm like, but, but why? Like, yeah. It's an administrative position. They're not going to present when they get here. Why? You know, or we're going to have them present to the entire division when they're going to be a student program deliverer. Have right. them to students and get student feedback on if that worked or not, you know? So just flipping that, like being really clear, I think one of the things that I've started doing um, with uh, my director level searches is uh, I will broadly call it writing sample. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, usually it's like all day, all day, all day and eat lunch with people, you Mm -hmm. know, don't breathe like you're actually going to eat. (laughs) <laughs> during yeah. what you're trying to also interview. So we actually give them 90 minutes in a room alone, closed mm-hmm. door, no window. Here's the menu, order what you want. We'll have it ready for you in the room. Take your jacket off, take your shoes off. I don't care. No one can see you. Set up a laptop and we do a writing sample. And for me, what that has looked like is um, for a recent search, I had gotten some grant money Um, And so I knew this money was coming. It wasn't something that we had advertised with the posting, but I said, what would you do if you got an extra $50,000 per year for the next three years to impact these two outcomes that are goals of mine for this office? Free write. I'm not looking for, is this formatted correctly? I'm just, I'm gonna give you an open space and let you dream and see where you might be able to take us. But that, was just the start of my one-on-one conversation with the candidate at the end of the day. Talk to me about Mm -hmm. your sample. What do you like about it? What would you have done if you had more time? Um, Now that you've had a couple hours, maybe you're still thinking about it, what's coming up. Mm -hmm. So it built off of itself. Um, Another thing I do is uh, I keep hard things. So like during the year, you know, like all of us have people in these positions now, if a hard thing comes up, keep that in a little file to use as a search option. So I have a particular email that I got from a faculty member um, and the faculty person uh, was asking the uh, diversity and inclusion director um, basically how to set up their class because Mm -hmm. there were some sensitive topics with the person she was bringing in to speak. Um, This is one of those, there are no right answers. And it's not in the person's job description, Mm -hmm. but it's a pretty typical email. Hey, only diversity person on campus. Can you Mm -hmm. help me not mess it up? Um, And so I use that as the writing sample. I change the names, of course, and say, you've just received this email from a Mm -hmm. faculty member. You've got 30 minutes or whatever, an hour before Mm -hmm. your next meeting. 
what are your thoughts on how you might respond? Um, so I really, I found great value in that. And the thing about it is, again, as you said, it goes back to the position description. I know for a fact, my directors are asked to turn around written whatevers frequently. This morning mm -hmm. we were crunching on assessments. Mm -hmm. Like we, we, we have to have these in by Wednesday. Everyone's type, type, mm -hmm. typing. So um, it just feels really applicable. Um, and if I can't, Donald, I'm going to throw out something because you made me. Oh, before you do that, I want you to do that. But before you do that, I just want to add, uh, I love this keeping hard things. A mentor of mine mm -hmm. 20 years ago said, when things are really bad, keep all the things, keep all the files. Someday you'll be a faculty member and we'll call it a case study. Uh, and we'll change all the names to protect the guilty. <laughs> um, so just, I love that notion that when things are, when you have those tough moments in the job, or there's conflict, or there's pushback. You can go, you you have to deal with it, but you can also be like, oh, this might be really useful someday, uh, and bring a little bit of joy <laughs> into that. So I, I love that. So, Patricia, you were going to put Donald on the spot, which I love it. Do it. Yeah, and Shelby, this actually pulls on something you just said as well about like question: Are we asking good questions? Um, and and Donald was like use of time. Why are we not giving people some questions up front? Like mm -hmm. why? Like send them, here are the four questions that we're gonna start the interview with. Yep. And then we'll see where, like, why can't they prepare? Right. Yeah. Wouldn't we actually be able to see the best of them? I'm, I'm not trying to surprise people and be like, hmm, gotcha, or, or not, you know? Right. I want people to feel confident coming in because I know they're gonna be able to bring down some of those walls. I don't know if you guys see that in your spaces or would find that valuable, but I think why, why wouldn't we? Yeah. I, go ahead, Donald. Okay. I was going to say, I, I find that incredibly important and helpful, actually. Um, we don't necessarily give everybody all of the questions that we'll ask, but I do tell every single candidate in the gist of what you need to be prepared to talk about. Um, and the reason why I'm telling people what you need to be prepared to talk about is because when you look at a job description, or you're looking at different things, then it can go all over the place. And there's so many different things that you're going to cover in your job day to day. And 95, if not more percent of the time, you are actually prepared to answer what it is that you need to answer day to day. There's, mm -hmm. yes, there's emergencies that pop up. Yes, there's things that you have to respond to. Um, but I even think about it in higher education. Um, when I was working in housing forever, like I knew the types of things I was going to have to respond to on a pretty frequent basis. And those things did not change, right? Like mm -hmm. the circumstances may change. The players involved change, but this, but the gist of what needed to happen was always consistent. Um, and and so I think about that too here in, in this world. And I, I think the more we can prepare people to, for what it is that they're, what we need to know, um, the better. And and not waste time on the things that we don't necessarily need to know. And I think Trisha, what you were just talking about. Uh, um, is, you know, you're asking your directors to do something that they would actually have to do gives you a better idea on how they're going to be able to tackle that type of job. Um, and I think that those things are always really important. Yeah, um, I was just going to share as well. So clearly this was a point that resonated with all of us. Go team. Mm -hmm. um, and and say that the best searches that I have ever been a part of as a candidate, I was given the questions ahead of time. And even if it wasn't the day before, um, but 10, 15 minutes. One, I think it calms folks' nerves. I think it allows folks to recenter on what 
the, the feeling of that conversation is going to look like. Um, and to your point, Trisha, this is not a gotcha moment. It shouldn't be. If it is, then we are, we are, we are mean. to be honest because this is about again finding the best people um and so yes i i think that giving questions uh beforehand even if it's the 15 minute break before the next interview which i think there should always be a break before the next interview um i think that is person-centered and really really important yeah i I also want to remind folks who are doing these processes that you're not just trying to hire the candidate who will then work for you. You want to treat these people who you don't hire well because you come around. Uh, My first search out of graduate school, I interviewed at Kansas State and Todd Clark and Derek Jackson were great to me. They didn't offer me the job, but they were great to me and they were kind and they were helpful and they treated me like a human being. And I ended up serving on ACPA commission for housing residents life with them connected with them in other ways, still connected to them, see them at different conferences. And when people say, oh, I'm thinking about doing this with so-and-so, I'm like, oh yeah, they're great. Mm -hmm. And so even though it was not a match in terms of that particular job at that particular moment in time, because the search process was a good experience for all of us, it has continued to serve. Um, And even people beyond, uh, when people leave higher ed, right, they're still connected. Here we are. Trisha's recommending yeah. Donald to be on a podcast for student yeah. affairs now. People are connecting. Chad, remember to search, right, where, where yeah. it was a good experience and that you were doing things differently. So let's remember it's not just about who's the winner and do we right. make sure that they want the job, which is important, but let's treat all the people in this process yeah. well. The mm-hmm. biggest complaint I got in that post was I never heard from people. Mm-hmm. I never yeah. heard yeah. from HR. I never yep. heard from the search chair. I never heard from the hiring authority. Mm-hmm. Like I don't need, someone said every candidate who, who spends time on campus, every final should get a 30 minute processing interview about what yeah. went well, it didn't go well. Yeah. I think that's great. How about just like a form email though? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, sorry, didn't yeah. work out. Good luck. <laughs> Next time would yeah. be great. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, and candidates understand like, we know you're bringing three people you know, and if I don't get it, I don't get it. That's fine. No hard feelings, but like, Mm -hmm. don't leave me hanging and turning down other opportunities. Um, The ghosting of candidates was the number one frustration. Yeah. And Keith, one of the things that I I will point out when I was working in student affairs and running a search, um, it was a residence life search. So there's 8 million applicants for, you know, the one or two jobs we had. Um, Not anymore. Yeah. yeah, Not anymore. anymore. but I was processing through applications and every single week I would contact candidates to let them know where they stood in the process. Mm -hmm. So if you were out, you were out. Um, And I was instructed by senior leadership not to do that and not to respond to candidates that were out of the process. I broke the rules and I did it anyway, because I'm like, that's Mm -hmm. just, that doesn't feel great. And that's not right. Um, And so I, I think message to senior leaders, don't give that instruction because Mm-hmm. the ramifications of it are, are horrible for your school and what you're doing and everything else. And, and that's just, that just doesn't sit well. Um, I wanted to throw something else out here. If you don't mind, I'm going to take a, um, cause I've been thinking about, you know, advice for, you know, what paradigm shifts need to happen. Um, this is going to be real radical here, but here we go. I love um, it. I'm so excited. I, I think you need to get rid of the on-campus interview. 
Um, and the reason why is because number one, it creates this space where you have where you have to fill their time, right? Because you start feeling bad because their time isn't being filled with all of the things. Right. Number they two, they flew all the way here, right? Yeah. And number two, it's financially prohibitive for so many people, um, especially if we're talking about people who are making like under seventy, seventy-five thousand dollars a year. Um, and in the corporate world, if you're going to go move to a new town and you're interviewing at a job somewhere, you might not ever see that workplace um, beforehand. Um, and then there's implications for that. But I think that most of the time it works out pretty well because you can get enough information that you need to gather um, that I don't need to see Stevens Hall or whatever it is, mm -hmm. right? Like that I might step foot in twice in my whole tenure on that campus. Um, the, the other part is, is that if you are going to bring people to campus, you need to 100% put the whole bill right from up front and do not ask for, if you turn me down, you got to give me part of the money back where you have to pay all the money back or there's all kinds of those things that I remember. And I don't know if that's outdated or not. So if it is, correct me and I'm cool with that. But there's this whole, like, if you're coming to campus, you have to foot the bill before you get there. That does not happen outside of higher education. If you want me to come through the interview process, they pay for you to come. They pay for a nice flight. They pay for your transportation to make sure that you can get where you need to go. They pay for all your meals. They pay for your hotel. They pay for your family to come with you mm -hmm. if that is something that you want to do. And and so for me, that was- And they maybe set you up with a realtor to look at places? Mm -hmm. They do. They set you up with realtor. They set you up with all of those different things that you personally need. And HR is in the front helping to lead. What do you need? And the company- picks up the bill for that whole process mm -hmm. because they recognize that it's small, it's pennies in the bucket here for something that they're going to get a really good candidate for. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I love these radical ideas about doing away with search committees. I think that was mine via colleague about <laughs> keeping it to two and a half or four hours to problem posing, writing breaks, um, to not doing it. And, and I think, you know, Zoom has really changed that. Um, yep. I'd also challenge uh, conferences uh, and the cattle call at conferences and, and who gets to do that, who doesn't get to do that, who does that support, who does what mm -hmm. kind of personalities, right? The, I will be favoring extroverts who thrive and are energized by that um, and, and differently. Uh, we, we've got a little bit of time here before we move to wrapping up. And I just would like to get from each of you real quick. We've talked a lot about what processes can do differently. Mm -hmm. Let's just real quick, what suggestions would you have for candidates? What, what, how would you help candidates navigate this current environment, which to be honest, is a candidate's market. Um, pools are smaller. There's more competition. If you're a candidate and you have options, your ability to negotiate and ask for things and get them um, is different than it's, than it's been uh, in, in my entire experience in, in higher end student affairs. Shelby, what tips would you have for candidates to navigate uh, as you just did this? Yeah. Um, I would say ask the challenging questions. I think that we say that a lot as folks who coach people or maybe who have coached people. Um, but I, I really mean it. Like you want to find the place whose values align with your personal values to the extent that they can. And so figure out what your non-negotiables are, your, your personal non-negotiables in regards to your values and ask those questions. And I mean, that can feel really odd in an interview when we're supposed to be the one who's being interviewed, but really, really recognizing that 
folks who are interviewing are also interviewing yes. that institution and institutions need to step up um, yeah. and really take ownership of the fact that these are their processes and, and um, it needs to be about the people. And so I would say, ask those questions and be willing to, to sit in that, un, the, that discomfort for a few minutes while that happens. Um, I think it's okay if interviewers squirm a little bit, to be quite honest, because that means that they're probably, they probably don't have a canned answer for something. Right. Um, the other part is I see it so often, especially right now, and people's fatigue and feeling burnt out and gaslit even, is that folks have so much to offer. They have so many skills that they have. They have transferable skills. They, they know more than they think they do. And they have more experiences than they think they have. Mm. Um, and so that imposter syndrome, I, I have just talked to so many folks who are trying to transition and that imposter syndrome right now just seems like a huge mountain. And so just encouraging folks to, to recognize that the fact that they have gone through a pandemic and still working in higher education gives you skills to do mm -hmm. the vast majority of, of jobs, um, mm -hmm. period. And so yes. recognizing that that your worth is not based on an interview, but asking those challenging questions and recognizing that you you are enough and that you have more than you think you have in your back pocket, mm -hmm. um, I think is really important and really powerful to remember. And if you can't tell, I'm an empathetic people person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so really coaching folks in, in that regard to be successful candidates, um, because it, I think there's just a really uh, instable unsteadiness right now. Um, and so really trying to reinforce yeah. folks' um, skills, knowledge, and abilities, because it's all there. Yeah. So, yeah. We have to make these reciprocal processes. It can't yes. be about an organization finding the right person. It's about the person. Is this the right, right. organization for me? And how only how do we encourage candidates to do that? But how do we create processes where right. we're coming to a mutually beneficial conclusion? Mm -hmm. um, because if, if, the organization, if Shelby hires me and I'm not right for the role, I'm not right for the organization, I'm not right for all of those things, then I'm going to leave soon. And now you got to spend all this money to bring mm -hmm. them and do it all over again. So how to make these reciprocal processes. And it's just, a we ask questions of our bosses that make them squirm. That's yeah. the job, right? Yeah. And so why not do it in an interview? Right. And let's see how that goes and how yeah. people respond to that. That's That's the nature of it. Trisha, what tips would you have for candidates who are navigating? Yeah, this um, you know, I, I I love all of that, Shelby. I would add, um, know thyself. Yeah, mm. know thyself. Um, you are not everything. Mm -hmm. You weren't meant to be everything. So get really clear about what are the three or four things that are like you're going to get this from me every day, day in and day out, and then come up with three or four examples to prove that. For every mm -hmm. single one of those and then Stories. i want to go a step yes yes mm -hmm. because you can say it but like trust but verify right give me an example mm -hmm. um and the the step i would go even one step further than that is nurture thy people so if mm -hmm. you've asked someone to be a reference that is not enough mm -hmm. um i get emails quite often hey do you want can i list you for what? <laughs> mm -hmm. So if I'm a reference, I want to be told what is the position and not just send me the position description, but like boil it down. What is it that truly you're interested in? So I can speak to that. And then if you came up with those three or four things, 
tell them to me because I want to be able to affirm the whole point of this is if there's going to be a no, I'm going to make the no. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to let the campus tell me no. I'm going to make them. Here's all the evidence of why I can do. And even in my blind spots, right? Like if there's a thing, I, I am not good at this, but here are three examples in my past of how I've built teams that can help right. cover that gap or how I have collaborated or partnered and mm -hmm. tell that to your references so they can amplify the same things. My, my thoughts. <laughs> Donald, what would you tell candidates? Well, um, that Trisha and Shelby are two of the smartest people <laughs> I know because I should just leave. They, they nailed it. That was, that was awesome um, from a, a candidate side and really thinking about yourself and knowing yourself and putting yourself out there and knowing that you've got all these skills and everything else that, that you might not know about, but then also knowing like where your gaps are and everything else. And, and I think being true to that, um, I, I, I think I'm going to try to take a little bit of a different spin here, maybe. Um, but um, I, I read a lot of online posts and a lot of communities online and, and things that exist out there. And I think that number one, um, candidates, you have to realize that if you are transitioning into a different place, it's your responsibility to tell the story on why you can do X, Y, and Z, right? So you can't just assume, oh, my resume is so awesome and I have all these skills and that I don't understand why they didn't hire me. Yeah, but you gotta, you have to take the responsibility to tell that story and don't assume that somebody can fill in the gaps uh, because when there's a gap, then people make up whatever story they wanna put into that gap, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think the other part uh, of that too is um, it, it's a hard world out there. Um, and as much as you might think that you're qualified for a job, you're not qualified for every job that's out there um, and expect uh, it, when you get the job, it's a great thing. But when you don't, that's also a great thing because you can learn something through that process. Um, and you're not going to be everything for everyone. Yet, there's always a candidate that can do it better, no matter what, right? And I, I think it, it's a hard pill to swallow, but that's one of the ones that I think is, is really important. Um, the last two things that I'll say um, that I think are really important because I see it happening online and the online community is great. Um, but number one, please, you should refrain from giving legal advice, especially about human resources topics and things like that, that you have no idea what is happening, right? I think that too many times people are giving advice that's just bad legal advice and bad ways to run things. And there are a lot of rules that exist in the world on how people are treated and everything else. And so take some time to learn what those things are. Uh, because most of the time people aren't out to get you. They're just trying to follow the rules and their interpretation of what those things are. And the way that one university interprets HR rules is completely different than the way that another one does. And so those things are not universal across the board. There are guidelines and then the people that work at that university get to decide what those guidelines are. Mm -hmm. So what mm -hmm. applies at your school does not apply at the next school, does not apply at this corporate company. Um, especially like understanding sizes of organizations because the, the bigger you are, the more rules you have to follow, but the smaller you are, the less rules you have to follow. So there's, there's some of that. Um, and then one of the things and point of privilege here, sorry, everybody, but I'm going to do it. Um, I see a lot of posts about HR works for the university, not for you. Um, that's not true. They work for both. You work at the university, so they work for you too, right? They, you, a lot of times people just don't get the answer that they want to hear, but keep in mind that they're, they're keeping things legal and 99% of the time they run it by the officials who have to 
stand up for the university for whatever it is that might be. If you've been mistreated, by all means, stick up for yourself, find the help that you need, et cetera. And I will always, always, always advocate for that. But on the same token, know if it's just a really bad situation and you're getting the bad end of the stick of it, which happens and it that sucks. And I will talk to anybody ever who needs help with that. But um, those are my candidate advice points. Awesome. Well, uh, we're running out of time. Uh, so, so real quick, uh, this podcast is called Student Affairs Now. We always like to end asking our guests, what are you thinking about, troubling, pondering now? Might be this conversation, might be something beyond it. And then if you want to share where people can connect with you, that'd be great. So Donald, what are you pondering now? Um, I, I think the biggest things that I'm, I'm thinking about is um, you really got to across the board, if you are in hiring and student affairs, you have to consider pay benefits and flexibility. Um, and, and how are you going to radically change the system so that your, the students benefit the most? Mm. Um, and that you can't have worn out people trying to do all this work. And the first sign of that is wearing people out before they even get there. Um, yeah. So you got to do that. And if you are going to wear them out, then you got to pay them a whole lot more than, than what you're doing, right? Because there has to be some type of push and pull there. Um, the, the other thing that I, I will also say is like, don't be afraid to hire a consultant. Um, one of the things that I think that I'm learning more and more and more in the outside world is that number one, I don't have time. And number two, somebody else can probably specialize in this. Um, and so I, I think finding people who can specialize in that and then also know different spaces and know how to navigate the HR space altogether mm -hmm. um, can be really, really beneficial um, for you in your search processes. Um, as you learn and develop your organization, sometimes bring somebody in with some fresh eyes to take a look at it and figure out what you can do better to make your experience better for the candidates that are out there. Great. Shelby, what are you pondering now? Opening, obviously. <laughs> That's this weekend. Um, but I, I think for me, just really hearing what folks have said and thinking about how all of these amazing ideas can be implemented here at a, at a different institution. And so a lot of my examples came from previous experiences, but how can we do them here? How can we continue to do them better? What strategic and critical conversations can I have? Um, but really thinking about some of these, these great ideas and, and recognizing that it might take a little bit of time, but in our roles or in my role specifically, it's my job to, to spend time on these things. Mm -hmm. And it's my job to think of these things and to feel that tension and to use that to pull us forward and sometimes push us forward and ask those hard questions and, and remembering the people at the core of all of it. So um, yeah, thinking about what we can do here at my current institution and how we can continue to make it better for candidates and um, compiling all of the wonderful things that both Trisha and Donald have shared. Awesome. And Trisha, how about you? Yeah, um, I, gosh, just thanks. So much good stuff, so much good time and community. I have been thinking a lot lately about stewardship. Um, mm. Was reading some stuff about stewardship of our earth, of our community, of our, our natural resources. And it, it has just made me think about stewardship in, in the work environment as well and the potential for decoupling your identity 
um, from the work. If you consider mm -hmm. this uh, an, an honor of stewardship to hold this seat for this moment, none of us are promised that. And I, this has got me um, going down multiple paths thinking about this mm -hmm. idea of stewardship. Uh, and so uh, would love to stay connected with people if I uh, want to have feedback or talk more. I'm on Twitter, talk to Trisha. I'm on everything, talk to Trisha. So find me, would love to stay engaged with um, any viewers or listeners as well. I love that. I, I'm hearing a little Patty Perillo influence there with the stewardship and being of service. And also you're reminding me, uh, one of the themes that keep coming back to you is Steve Herndon saying on this podcast, we've got to separate our identity from yes. our work roles. And we've gotten a lot of bad messaging around that in, in student mm -hmm. affairs. And it, it actually makes us more effective, yes. better decision makers and all of yes. us that you, you are yes. not your job. That's right. what we're talking about, separating those identities. Uh, I know Donald wanted to get in. Where can people contact you? Yeah, um, I am on, you can find me on Twitter. I'm never on there, but send me a message. I'll see it. It's um, at DDUB903, DDUB903. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, uh, W Donald Walker. Um, and if you emails the way that you like to go, you can hit me at Donald at 3dbusinessconsultants.com. Awesome. And Shelby, how about you? Yeah. So I'm only on Twitter to watch everything I rarely post, or if I do, it's usually about my dogs. Um, but I am on Twitter. It's my first and last name. So Shelby Wieners, IE. Um, and so you're, you're welcome to find me there or on LinkedIn. Um, if you want to email me, great. Um, just know I get a lot of email, but it's sjw5029 at psu.edu. Oh, you've, you've got that new one memorized already. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. It was you had to type it into so ID. many forms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all so much. I really appreciate it. This has been terrific. And you're reminding me to really be people-centered in these processes. And also, we can rethink everything. We don't have to change everything, but we can rethink everything. We can, all the different pieces, we can, we can do things differently. Um, thanks to, to all of you for the fabulous conversation. And thanks to our sponsors of today's episode, Simplicity and Vector Solutions. Simplicity is the global leader in student services technology platforms with state-of-the-art technology that empowers institutions to make data-driven decisions specific to their goals. A true partner to the institution, Simplicity supports all aspects of student life, including but not limited to career services and development, student conduct and well-being, student success, and accessibility services. To learn more, visit Simplicity or connect with them on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And how will your institution rise to reach today's socially conscious generation? These students report commitments to safety, well-being, and inclusion are as important as academic rigor when selecting a college. It's time to reimagine the work of student affairs as an investment, not an expense. For over 20 years, Vector Solutions, which now includes the Campus Prevention Network, formerly EverFi, has been the partner of choice for more than 2,000 colleges, universities, and national organizations with nine efficacy studies behind their courses, you can trust and have full confidence that you're using the standard of care for student safety, well-being, and inclusion. Transform the future of your institution and the communities you serve. Learn more at vectorsolutions.com slash studentaffairsnow. And as always, a huge shout out to our producer, Nat Ambrosi, who does all the work behind the scenes to make us look and sound good. If you're listening today and not already receiving our weekly newsletter, please visit our website at studentaffairsnow.com, scroll to the bottom, and add your email to our MailChimp list and check out the archives while you're there. I'm Keith Edwards. Thanks again to our fabulous guest today and everyone who's watching and listening. Make it a great week. Thank you all. <laughs>